And welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Gary Machuda sitting in for El Cresta. The resurrection, the most pivotal event in all of human history. And it's also one of those events that people have a lot of questions on, maybe even some doubts. But is our belief in the resurrection well-grounded? Well, we have Joe Heschmeyer with us to answer that. Joe is a staff apologist for Catholic Answers. He's the author of three books. Most recently, The Early Church Was the Catholic Church. He blogs at shamelesspopery.com, and he's just recently uh, launched a brand new Shameless Popery podcast. Now, let him talk a little bit about that. And Joe Heschmeyer, welcome to Crest in the Afternoon. Thanks. It's good to be on. Yeah. So, uh, brand new podcast, uh, uh, Shameless Popery. Um, uh, Great stuff. In fact, uh, you addressed the resurrection as one of your podcasts on that show. Well, yeah, actually, this this whole Easter season, I had one exception because I had uh, an interview with Archbishop Nauman. I wanted to make sure to get out soon, but other than that, every every Thursday in the Easter season, it's looking at a different aspect of uh, what we know about the resurrection and the historical and biblical evidence for it. Yeah, beautiful. So, yeah, it, I, like I, I introduced at the beginning of the show, a lot of, of course, all us Catholics believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ, but. Is this just a matter of faith that we just need to believe in it, or do is there good grounds for our belief? Yeah, this is a fascinating thing, because it is simultaneously an object of faith and a historical event. Hmm. And so there are some things where, you know, a historian who just denies out the gate that supernatural things can happen isn't really a neutral historian, right? Like a historian who just says, you know, I personally don't believe in anything supernatural— so it doesn't matter how good the historical evidence is for the resurrection. I'm going to ignore all the evidence or just say it must be a legend or, you know, everybody's lying. Well, if you're approaching it like that, I mean, it it would be as if you said, I don't believe the king can do any wrong, so it doesn't matter how much evidence I find that the king stole money. I refuse to believe it. Like, you're just putting a dogmatic belief uh, ahead of the actual evidence. But if you don't do that, if you approach history in a neutral way, there's a wealth of historical evidence that actually supports that the resurrection really happened, and it really is the best explanation for the phenomena that we see in the first century. That We find a group that is confident that they don't just believe the resurrection happened because they heard about it, but in hundreds of cases, they literally claim to have personally seen the resurrected Jesus, and then they're willing to die for that faith. That's very hard to explain away any other way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how early does the testimony to Christ's resurrection go back? Incredibly early. So as I'm sure your listeners know, the, you know, the Christian proclamation doesn't start with writing. You know, we don't start with the Bible. We start with the apostles and the church, and then eventually things get written down. And that eventually is probably in the 40s, starting with the letters of St. Paul. And in one of the earliest of his letters, 1 Corinthians, Although you'll find, obviously, scholarly debate about which letters were written in which order. But 1 Corinthians, it's a biggie. Mm -hmm. In it, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says he's handing on what he received when he converted. And Paul's conversion happens probably two years uh, after Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Uh, That's the kind of timeline that, that seems to be there in Acts. And so if Paul is already receiving what he then gives, which is called the Corinthian Creed, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 3 and going to about verse 8, 
so that little segment that uh, Jesus lived, died, was buried according to the scriptures, rose again according to the scriptures, and then uh, the series of uh, resurrection appearances that are mentioned, including the appearance of the 500 that I alluded to a moment ago. Mm-hmm. All of that, even skeptics, even non-believers, people like Bart Ehrman, I'd say this couldn't have been uh, beyond two years after the the alleged events. So, <laughs> I mean, even like the most radical kind of skeptics have to say, well, if Paul got this two years later, then it couldn't be very old at all. And then you say, well, maybe Paul's making this up. But uh, the problem is he's writing to Corinth, and we know a couple things about Corinth. First, they knew St. Peter. <laughs> so <laughs> if Paul is making up some new thing about Jesus rising from the dead, they could easily find that out. That's and true. second, they're a major, uh, like, seaport. They, they're like a port town. It's, you know, a, a major transportation hub. So as a result, more than most cities in the ancient world, Corinth was in a very international city, had a lot of people from all over the world, or certainly all over the empire. And so again, if, if Paul is just telling them uh, this malarkey, <laughs> mm-hmm. they're going to find that out very quickly. And so all of this points to the fact that Paul's not making this up. This really is what he received. This really is what was taught uh, by the earliest Christians within a couple of years, maybe months, maybe even days of, uh, of Easter. And one of the reasons that the, the earliest dating we put is that it may have even been before Ascension Thursday. And the reason that we put the Corinthian Creed possibly that, that early is there's no mention of the Ascension. And that's a strange thing to omit unless it hadn't happened yet. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, one thing that always jumped out at me with the, the, the Creed is that uh, he kind of gives a double dog dare, doesn't he, with the 500. He, he says yes. that some have fallen asleep, but some are still alive. Yeah, so one thing that makes this confusing as historical evidence goes is we know of this creed through St. Paul, Mm. and there's two moments where Paul is clearly interpolating, meaning he's adding his own commentary. One is he adds the, last of all, he appeared to me. You know, that that line, Paul is sharing his own personal experience at the end of it. But he also says, when he gets to the part of the 500, he then adds, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now, why does he do that? Because he's inviting the Corinthians, who remember... They're getting visitors from all over the world, including Jerusalem, including Judea. And there's, you know, we, there's a large Jewish presence there. There's, you know, people traveling all over the world. So he's inviting them to, to fact check it. He's saying there's hundreds of witnesses to what I'm telling you. Yeah. And so if you don't believe me, <laughs> there's no shortage of people who can confirm this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, you mentioned that uh, another strong case for the resurrection is the fact that uh, the other hypotheses fail. So I, I know there's dozens of them you could go through. What do you think is the strongest, and why does it fail? Yeah, it's a good question. So you'll find a lot of hypotheses about, you know, maybe this was a mass hallucination, or those things. But mm-hmm. bear in mind, if it's a mass hallucination, if Jesus is dead and he's in the tomb, well, the tomb is publicly known. And so we know that Peter gets up on Pentecost and proclaims to a crowd of thousands of people that David's still in the tomb and Jesus isn't. So if you're a person there on Pentecost and you're listening to this, it would not be difficult to just walk from where the upper room is to where the tomb is and look for yourself. And so presumably one of these thousands of people, if not more, went and did that. And if Jesus is right there bodily in the tomb, okay, Christianity is done by lunchtime. But that doesn't happen, of course. 
And so any any theory that requires that Jesus is still in the tomb doesn't stand up to the historical evidence that even the early opponents of Christianity, remember the guards report that the disciples must have stolen the body while they were asleep, it presupposes the tomb is empty. So any full tomb kind of theories, you might say, like it's just a hallucination, etc., those don't work. Uh, another, uh, so John Dominic Crossan uh, argues that maybe dogs ate the body. And, but his argument particularly is that Jesus wasn't really buried in a, in a well-known spot. Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all make a point of saying that Jesus was, was buried in a known spot. The Corinthian Creed mentions that he was buried. It doesn't say where or who observed it, but it's very clear that they're aware, no, Jesus really was buried. It wasn't just they crucified him, they killed him, and we don't know what happened to his body after that. Like, we know what happened to his body after that. We know which tomb it was, Joseph of Arimathea's own tomb. You know, so all of that is, you just have to deny or ignore multiple attestations from authors who were eyewitnesses or early witnesses to the fact, and you say, okay, well, that doesn't seem to really work either. Uh, and then the last category are those who say, sure, Jesus really did uh, get buried in the tomb, and sure, the tomb really was empty, but that's because he wasn't really dead. Well, the problem with those theories is that it presupposes that Jesus could survive a Roman crucifixion. And I think anyone who wants to fact-check that, just read up a little bit about the brutality of Roman crucifixion. You add to that detail, small details, like in John 19, where Jesus' side is pierced and blood and water flow out, he's clearly no longer alive. His body is not metabolizing water. It's, you know, so uh, he really did die. He really was buried. The tomb really is empty on Easter morning, and uh, there really are all these resurrection appearances. I think the only theory that leaves with even a shred of credibility besides Christianity would be something like the apostles overpowered the guards and, and stole the body. But that still leaves some major problems about why would they then, why would they do that, first of all? Yeah. Why would they die for that faith and, and get a bunch of other people to die for that faith? Uh, why did the Romans not just say that and immediately come and kill them all? You know, so it, it raises a lot of questions. And, you know, where did the body go? All of those kind of questions. And how did other people who clearly weren't participants, like St. Paul, end up seeing the resident Christ? So I would argue that's probably the best, you know, uh, argument besides Christianity to explain the evidence. And it still has some, some major gaps some major glaring holes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, they all ultimately fail in one way or another. And in some ways, you kind of have to wrap. Yeah, let's do that really quick. What happened if we say there are multiple theories? You know, maybe uh, uh, they stole the body. Maybe it was part hallucination. Uh, you know, is it does it make it any more plausible if you combine the theories? <laughs> That's a good question. Like <laughs> if you just put the different theories together. Yeah. I find that the, the most convincing atheists are the ones who kind of make fun of Christianity without ever laying out a really specific explanation of what happened. Right. You know, yeah. like, honestly, if you're going to be an atheist, your best explanation is just don't explain anything. You know, call your lawyer, plead the fifth, don't, don't tell them anything, because <laughs> as soon as you start talking about what you think happened, the whole case falls apart. And it doesn't work. To, you know, to say they stole the body and hallucinated it, that makes even less sense than, than either theory on its own. Absolutely. Well, Joe, hey, thank you so much for coming on Crust in the Afternoon. We appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. It's Joe Heschmeyer. Check it out. Shameless Popery Podcast. Go to Catholic.com. We'll be right back. <laughs> 